0: Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of Outlaw Country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the Outlaw Country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's music row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. Pushkin. I'm at Jack White's house in Detroit. There's over a dozen of us there. Jack's 88-year-old mom is in the front room greeting everyone as they come in. His older brother's there, too. So are some folks from the third-man record label Jack Runs. Malcolm Gladwell and I are sitting in amazement. The Raconteurs, Patrick Keeler, Jack Lawrence, Brendan Benson, Jack White, are hanging on Jack's sun porch, warming up, playing the blues. Of the 30 or so number one Billboard albums this year, only four have been rock albums. And one was the Raconteurs' Help a Stranger. Jack and Malcolm first met in Nashville to talk about Elvis for Malcolm's other podcast, Revisionist History. Malcolm got the grand tour of Jack's estate in Tennessee where he and most of the band live now full time. After that, Malcolm would jump at any chance to hang with Jack. So when the invite came to tape a broken record episode with the band in their native Detroit, we leapt at it. Even Rick Rubin phoned in for it. You'll hear him turn up a few minutes into the conversation. This is a fun one. (laughs) This is Broken Records Season 3, Liner Notes for the Digital Age. I'm Justin Richmond. Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right. Enjoy the episode. Before Malcolm and Rick's conversation with the Tours, the band kicked things off with a great cover of Donovan's, Hey
1: Jip, Dig the Slowness. Wait, wait, th-
0: that's the one where
2: you thought of swapping out Cadillac for Tesla? Yeah,
1: we were talking about it. Like, why, <laughs> why, why don't we modernize if we're doing the cover of this? You know, all the old songs, the rock and roll and blues songs are always you know Cadillac this and, and that. So this, this song had Cadillac and Chevrolet and the original had, I think the Mustang. What was it, Memphis Minnie song, I think he, he was taking his thing from? And, and, and we're talking about Donovan. And uh, so we thought, why don't we modernize it? Let's, let's put it in something like... And we're like, oh, this just sounds silly. And then we just it brought on this whole conversation of why, why is it such a hard thing to um, interject modern technology into the lyrics of rock and roll or blues songs? Because hip-hop and country can do it. And I and they're expected to. It's so almost like they're expected like, you know, to. You're like in a modern country, I mean I don't know if we could look some up or something, because I don't really I'm not that familiar with modern country lyrics, but you, you when I'm listening to the Radio in Nashville, it's always like something like and you know, all that shit. And like we get that on tape. Yeah, I hope so. Because that's a that's a hit. That's a hit. <laughs> we laugh, but that actually you know what I mean? Like uh, why are they, and then hip hop it's, you can drop any modern reference and you're expected to, it's supposed to like yeah. whatever's hip this week, you know, and let alone uh, not 2019. So, yeah. but when rock and roll, if you do it, it's kind of, it's kind of goofy. I mean, it, it it brings up the idea, of, like I was uh, was talking, sending you the idea of this uh, phonograph of uh, lyrics, you know. Um, hello, hello. Oh, Rick. Oh, hey,
3: Rick. Hello, hello, how are you?
1: We're all good. We're sitting here with the
2: raconteurs. Hey, Rick. Hey, Rick. Hey, what's happening? Uh, they just played a, uh, it's an old Donovan song, which references I'll buy you a Cadillac. And we were asking the question, why can't it be updated to I'll buy you a Tesla X? And <laughs> why, why is it you can't, why is it you can do modern references in country songs, but not
3: in rock and roll songs? That was the question on the table. I think you can, no?
1: I would, love to, I would love to hear Jack
3: singing about the Tesla X. Yeah. <laughs> I'm
1: going to give you an example. I'm going to do uh, just a second of uh, phonograph blues, Robert Johnson phonograph blues. So we got uh, like a... But if that was a hip hop track, I'm sure you know this, Rick, better than most. Uh, you could say that if you put the right new beat on it not only is it going to work it's actually expected but there's something about rock and roll and blues to me i always feel like if you can't there has to be a mechanical thing to have it have romance to it like if it doesn't have if it's if you yeah everybody's still singing about trains even guys who've never even seen a train in their life can write a song and put a train in there yeah but if you say monorail uh, people mover uh, or whatever uh, and if you that doesn't make any sense it's not romantic uh, if you we're talking about electric cars instead of an old cadillac all of a sudden, it's not romantic.
4: But then, ultimately, you limit the rock and roll vocabulary exactly. to that. I don't think. That's I don't. Right. I, don't I, think, I agree with you, Rick. I
3: think that's a that's a self imposed limitation. That maybe that's what it's going to take. Maybe that's what the reinvention of rock and roll sounds like. It's
4: modern references. I don't know. Um, I think rock and roll has this, like lyric lyrically, it's always been mysterious. I think you know, like a, almost like a. I mean, even the blues, they were like speaking like, you know, such slang. I mean, it was like, you know, you, did, you couldn't you know, easily understand what they're talking about. And it's continued on. Like, what's Mick Jagger mean by that? But
1: if Robert like, Johnson is, when he's saying, Beatrice, I love your phonograph or whatever, he's talking, that was a modern thing right then and there. That was a hot thing to have. A lot only rich people had record players in a lot of places. Right. But maybe it that meant meant was a, even that was more a, than that.
4: A, maybe it was like, you know, a, in that day, a way of saying, you know, I don't know, like, secretly, I'm in love with you. Or I don't know. Maybe it meant even more. Like, it was...
1: Oh, the metaphor you know what is what I mean? heavy. The, the, I'm just I'm the, yeah. talking about the just the literal reference of he's referencing a modern technological device, a phonograph right. at that the time. If you wrote a thing. blue song, quote unquote, right now, and you mention an iPod or listening to streaming service on your iPhone, that's not romantic. It's just it's kind of sounds silly. And if you and maybe it's something to contextualize with rock and roll's place in, in culture now in 2019, yeah. compared to hip hop or or uh, country music or modern country music, mm. which I don't really think is, even even is country music really anymore, but the fact that they're expected to make really current modern references in country music for it to be a hit song, it's ex- an expectation. But those guys, I uh, think Williams wouldn't been caught dead not singing out a Cadillac or something, you know, like that. It was.
2: Is this a problem for that kind? You're talking about sort of the, the rock and roll vernacular has a, a set of very specific reference. Mm. You, is that a problem that you can't kind of update it easily?
4: You did put clicking and
1: swiping into a rock. Yeah. yeah, roll. that's a very yeah. modern yeah. reference. It can't be done. It yeah. a good, Wait, what some... was the clicking, swiping reference? Oh, was a, we had a song on there where it said, uh, well, Brendan Don't bother up, me. Brendan actually came out with this lyric. said, don't bother me. And so. But that's, a, that's what was in there. Yeah. He came up, he said that though, clicking and swiping. And I, I thought that was funny because it had like multiple meanings. It's and
2: not it, pointing to a specific right. um, cultural artifact. It's you're playing with words, yeah. you're yeah. winking.
1: Yeah. Mm. I did, a, I did a, a Blind Women Sound Song a few years ago called Three Women, and his was like. Uh, and I, when I did it, it was uh, I got three women, red, blonde, and brunette. And I, when I went to the five, I said. And I got away with it there. Yeah, That was a blues song done in sort of like a funky way. In, and I said digital photograph. And I was purposely trying to break this yeah. idea in my head. But that, that let's go back to, you made that comment just now, Jack, that and yeah.
2: a lot of what passes for country today, you said isn't really country. Yeah. Talk a little bit about the distinction. You, you, see, you seem to say that there are some rules that apply to Country that
1: don't. I, yeah, you can talk specifically. I, th- I think someone who's in, a country artist might be able to tell you better than I would, have, but I think they'd also be afraid to say it because they are very. I think they live in fear in that world because they only have one radio format. It's country, and if they don't stick to the formula, they will not get radio airplay. If they try to do like if a modern country artist, without naming any names or whatever, were to do like a, a, a record an album as the same way Hank Williams or Loretta Lynn had done in the '60s or '50s. Uh, then they would call it roots rock or Americana, and it would never get played. And it would never get played on the radio, and it would become, uh, oh, okay, he's trying to go rootsy now, and it would be a failure, I think. And I think that the, scares them. They have to use really computerized. But they're ways adapting. Of music. No.
4: They're adapting really quickly. They're evolving, you know. Like mm-hmm. I mean, the country music itself is changing. I mean, has been changing for so for so long now, and finally, it's become anything goes it's pop it's rap it's whatever oh, heavy that, metal yeah, that so out. i mean it's yeah. i mean maybe it's kind of evolving for that re- out of necessity cuz there's only they're, they only have this mm-hmm. corner of the market or whatever you know mm-hmm. so in in order to survive yeah. i mean
1: for country music well that's how I mean. big that's how why taylor swift got so more it's more gigantic cuz she, she distanced away from country and became more pop And succeeded in in doing so, which is, uh, I mean, you're talking about the most loyal fan base and in all the genres is country music fans. I mean, if they like you for one day, they like you to the day they die. And the worst are where we came from, the garage rock hipsters who like you this week and don't like you next week. Yeah.
2: And that idea of that you toggle back and forth between Nashville and Detroit is really interesting. Mm. I'm just curious about how that affects um, the way you make music.
4: I think... One thing that happens is you know there's a lot. Yeah, I've met a lot more fiddle players, <laughs> you know, like since I've been living there, or steel players, and invariably you invite one of them. Some you know, just a, as a, I mean, you just get to know these people. They're cool, so you invite them down to play, and soon they're appearing on your record, and and then people are saying, oh, you know, you've I see how you've, you know, you've taken on this kind of Nashville sound or whatever, and it's like, well, actually, this person, I mean, yes. I guess maybe you could say that, but, uh, but in reality, it was just, this guy's so cool. And I'm, I'm in awe of his skills. I love his, he's like, he's crazy good. And it's, I want to be around that, you know,
1: to add, to add to that though, if you went, nobody wants to be boxed in in any case. So if you were say, we did all move to Nashville and we actually became country singers because of the environment, we would probably be prone to not admit it. We would probably be prone when asked to say, Oh no, that's, has nothing to do with us. We like country music back when we lived in Detroit. We,
2: we country we're not
1: being pushed around or <laughs> in, influenced by our environment or whatever. But I think wherever you go, it's not like when we were in Detroit. It's not like uh, we like The Stooges because we we're walking down the street. We like The Stooges. It's because the people we're hanging out with right. like The Stooges, and we like them too. And not just because a cultural thing in this area of the country, we're more prone to like the gories, The Stooges, or Detroit Cobras, whatever. And if you're down in Nashville, you're more prone to like Loretta Lynn and Tammy Wynette.
3: Would you say that since moving to Nashville, forgetting the making of music, has your taste changed at all?
1: Mm, that's a great question, Rick. Um, I'm gonna say I've been
4: I've been exposed more to country, kind of pop country, by my wife, and uh, she, she's like that stuff. And so I think my I think I've come around a slightly to some of it. You know, just seeing i can see some good in- i'm not sure it's changed my taste but maybe it's broadened my horizons a little bit <laughs> you know have you written have i, I i've i have an appreciation so i have a very large appreciation and respect for some of those writers i think they're super clever and you know i mean and and that's sort of been country music for a long time kind of witty and clever and and that could be like Florida, Georgia line that sure. has a line. Maybe that's just like, ooh, that's good, that's good. You know, I appreciate that kind of stuff.
1: My appreciation goes to like I like the cleverness of the Monster Mash and the cleverness of uh, yeah, you yeah. know uh, the novelty songs. And if you, and there's a, is a, is a, when you're a songwriter and you're and you're thinking of something clever, like I think this last Rack and album, we stayed away from clever in a lot of ways. It's it's tempting to want to come up with a clever lyric, but then you also can. Go past that line into novelty. Well, then into
4: not no, emo, no emotion, no feeling because yeah. it's that clever is kind of like it's a knee slapper or it's like a, mm-hmm. geez, I mean not it's actually I take that back. I mean sometimes it's just just so good. It's um, and I'm I can't think of you know any great is, examples right now. Like, is
2: there a song on this on this most recent record? She
4: thinks album. I still love her, you know, or something like that. You know, that song. Yeah. Uh, she thinks I still yeah. care. Yeah, she, she thinks still I still, know. still care. George yeah. Jones. I mean, Jones. it's yeah. the whole song is, or the whole song is kind of just this witty. It's a witty thing, but ironic it's so, but it's thing. so heavy. It's so heavy. So heavy. Yeah.
1: It's almost like, and Loretta Lynn does that all the time. Like there's a throwaway That's the novelty hook to get you involved. But the, the metaphors, once you get in there, are so heavy and deep. Kind of makes
4: you giggle for a second, kind of smile. Mm-hmm. But then you're like, ooh, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah,
1: I think, I think she thinks I still care is one of the, Most amazing metaphors ever written, as as, as from a songwriting standpoint.
4: Everyone can relate to that, like yeah, you know. But you could laugh. Forget her. Forget him. You know, like don't need him. You know, it's just classic, man. And then summed up so perfectly in that song. But
1: it's because he's he does still care, right? That's the whole point of that song. I remember there's a Conway Twitty
2: song that begins with all the things he has to do now that his woman has left him yeah right. remember i've canceled my subscription yep. to the home ladies journal and it's like totally gimmicky and then you you start to realize oh my god yeah this guy's sad. truly sad
4: he's man. truly yeah uh,
3: you know it's what's interesting about it is it's really sarcasm yeah and it's not unusual to hear sarcasm let's say in a bob dylan song but lines might be sarcastic it would the pr- the premise of the song is almost never I, I can't think of an example where the premise of the song is based on sarcasm
1: right you're right yeah. you're right it's, yeah. it's hook lines to hook you in with sarcasm but the the deeper meaning of it is is actually uh, but I, I i go so far as to say that that's the all great songs are like that, that that the story is what you're trying to convey you're communicating a story the the music the melody all of it's a trick. It's all of a, a way to trick you into the yeah. story.
4: Well, hopefully there are many levels too, right? There's yeah. To, to to trick you in to get you. The beat is on a trick. The,
1: the the title of the song's is a trick. the mm. The, the melody is a trick. And, and you, I, don't, I don't mean it's that in true. an insulting way. It's there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. And I think that's when. But it is it to manipulate your
4: feelings and your emotions and to make you sad, make you cry. Like this, way, Ooh, this feels. You know, this is great. Or this, you know, you, you make some sort of sound that sounds, you know. Mm -hmm. whatever the d chord you know the ultimate
3: do you do do it do you would you say you do that consciously
4: i do sometimes i think so yeah and and probably fail most of those times i'm conscious (laughs) of it (laughs) and then other times you know i mean songs kind of creep up on me later much later and i think wow man i you know that's cool. That's really deep. You know, it's it moves me in a different way. Maybe it hits me differently, mm. and I think, oh, okay. I, th- I think that was a successful mm. song. You know,
2: is there a song on the latest cool. album that strikes you in retrospect as a Nashville song? A song you would only have
1: written mm. because you moved to Nashville? Probably, maybe thoughts and prayers. prayers. Thoughts and prayers. As a yeah, as the last song on the record, kind of has that vibe to it. Do can it. you play a little bit of it and, and
2: then explain what what's sort of Nashvillely about it?
1: Let's discover. Maybe we can discover the wild. wild. Yeah,
0: right.
2: Oh, I love that song. Wait, can that song get played on country radio?
3: No, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. You know, it's really, it's really
1: more, it's more southern rock than it is country. I think you're right, Rick. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it has that feeling to it. It's sort of like uh, those incorporations of those sort of like that, that kind of, it's you know, more, cowboy. Yeah, yeah cowboy yeah, 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 guitar cowboy, slanger. It makes me yeah. think more
3: of like Leonard Skinner and Molly mm-hmm. Hatchet than it does country music. You know? Yeah.
1: So, like on paper, if you were gonna write a story about a, a garage rock band from Detroit that moved to Nashville who has songwriting uh, sensibilities, you might say rock. that they're gonna turn into fucking Leonard Skinner. I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> All roads lead you to
3: are Southern Rock. Not necessarily, not necessarily a bad thing.
2: Yeah, not a bad. Wait, so can you um can you talk a little bit about how that song came about?
1: It was a, like a little demo I did that I thought maybe wasn't really that interesting, but Brendan kind of f- heard something in it, and we were testing it out it was more minor key i think wasn't it all minor uh, was the well, demo, that, yeah, i thought wow. and then we changed you changed it to major d and brought some oh, like, sort of minor. brightness okay. to <laughs> <laughs> what, what was i thinking so uh is that all
2: you began with or did you beat
1: yeah and i had that was like um I was, I was trying to write lyrics like I wouldn't normally write. I tried to like pretend I was a different songwriter writing those lyrics. I would never write a why, "Why does the Grim Reaper creep?" <laughs> How does the Grim Reaper creep if he doesn't really have the time? I mean, that to me, I, when I wrote that down, was to trying to be ridiculous to myself. Like uh, what a, another songwriter would write. I'm like why? No, cross that out. I was trying to go into that territory to trying to shake myself up a little bit. And I heard, I heard did a. Did re- you pick? What's that?
3: Did you pick? Did you pick a? A character for that songwriter or was it just not you was it rooted in either anyone you love or a combination or a fictional character
1: was a character actually it's a it's like uh i won't say the name but i heard a i heard a reference on the radio driving in the car i heard a reference in the radio that pissed me off so much it was a reference in a song that was someone trying to be clever and and modern and i won't say what it was but to me that made me write this line of uh I wrote a letter down to you like I'm Sullivan Ballou. I was trying to say like, if I had took this goofy songwriter and said, hey, listen, why don't you, instead of that reference, why don't you reference something that actually has some staying power, some longevity to it? Instead of saying that, person's name, why don't you say Sullivan Ballou and let people go and learn about Sullivan Blue and the letter he wrote in the, in the Civil War and maybe that. So it was almost like uh, I was pretending to workshop with this songwriter kid who doesn't know what he's doing, <laughs> you know, uh, it was kind of a strange, crazy off the left field thing to do. But So you're literally driving down a road.
2: Had you heard that song before? No. So you're hearing it for the first time and then you, the song makes a reference and you're like, oh, yeah. you can do better than that. It,
1: yeah, it, it, it's. I think you should care enough. I think a lot of people don't say that. I'm, I'm dumb enough to say that in interviews and stuff. You know, like to say like a, that, that. That that's a, You know enough. I can hear that and it pisses me off. And but I think that you should care enough about your craft. If you're an architect and you drive it down the street and you see some ridiculously built constructed house in a neighborhood where it doesn't belong. You have two rules of thought. You can be like, "Oh, hey, I'm easy going, man. Everything's cool, sure, man. Whatever you want, you know." Or you can be like, "No, ridiculous, absolutely." You like, you know. Frank Lloyd Wright used to call all the glass building architects the "glass box boys," which I always thought would be a great name for a band. That like no, is good, um, but <laughs> it's great. But is out uh, of his 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 love of the craft. Uh, you, you, when you're turned angry at times by the, your love of the craft, when you see someone getting away with something ridiculous, I think it should anger you a little bit because it makes you love what you're doing all that much more.
3: I love the idea that you could be inspired by something that you don't like yeah. to make something better and new that you wouldn't do otherwise. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah I think I, I always. My, just feel like I, I learned more from what not to do than what to do and, and and there's these moments where i think i just popped in my head talking about modern country like when we when the Grammys were on last year like Brandy Carlisle when she sang I was like oh my god that's how it's done that should be country music right yeah. now mm. that should be what all country music writing should strive for is right. what she just did on on live on the air what it,
2: what was it specifically about what she was doing that you that, that you were drawn I to I believed to? her yeah
1: it was
4: beautiful it was like undeniably beautiful oh, you don't have you to know. be country you know a country fan or a fan of hers even to know that that was gorgeous but her voice is otherworldly
1: yes like yes but you you gotta wanna know you gotta wanna you know there's there's artists out there you hear them sing and they could do a beautiful job and sing gorgeously but i don't believe them yeah Yeah. if i if i don't believe them and i don't trust them then i i don't care about their songs how do you
2: i mean is that something that you worry about with your own
1: music yeah being believable Well, yeah. the the dream would be, it would just be great to just be put out because all the people that we love, well, I can I can speak for everyone in the band, but I can assume, but that uh, the people that we love and admire and, and idolize, the songwriters and the musicians throughout history are the ones we don't know much about. I don't really know that much about Hank Williams. I don't know that much about Robert Johnson. We we grasp at little crumbs to learn about them, but I'm glad we kind of don't have that many photographs of Charlie Patton and Robert Johnson because I think we'd probably be destroy the mythology, and you wouldn't uh, l- l- just be in love with that stuff as much. And nowadays, you see everything of everybody's life all day long, and there's no mystery at all. So to, in order to be a believable us- character, like, uh, like say, Brandy Carlile, I do trust her, and I believe in her. Uh, I still don't know that much about her, but from first impression, mm-hmm. uh, I-, I trust her, you know?
3: Isn't it interesting that the better the singer, the harder it is to trust
4: them? Do you get the, do you do you
1: feel that experience at all oh yeah they
4: can kind of they can fool you can't they they can trick you
1: yeah well you could have like say a Nashville studio uh, session with a bunch of musicians and there'll be a couple of like virtuosos there who are maybe like school taught or union or whatever kind of things like that and after a minute you kind of get that vibe like mmm, too too good too, too clean <laughs> yeah, yeah. too too nice yeah. not, too, a, not
4: too enough not enough kind of
1: Not enough chinky, soul you know, not enough, yeah,
4: yeah.
0: We'll be back with more from Jack White and Brendan Benson after the break.
2: Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. Plus, Apple Card has no fees, not even hidden ones. Apply for Apple Card now in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Variable APRs for Apple Card range from 19.24% to 29.49% based on creditworthiness. Rates as of February 1st, 2024. Terms and more at AppleCard.com.
0: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, attempt to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that.
2: for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders, you can enter at tmobile.com/slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com/slash unconventional awards. See you there.
0: We're back with more of Malcolm and Rick's conversation with the Rack and Tours.
2: I'm interested in this notion of imperfection being somehow appealing and perfection being seeming phony um is there a really good imperfect song and a raconteur song that a good imperfect song that you like that you love because of its of its how rough it is or how imperfect it is or how
4: kind of they're all a little bit like that in various forms you know i, I think
1: I, mean, I, I i not to say where you were you like but i think i bring maybe bring that to the that's what i bring to the table for you that's what makes what what the songwriting you do in your own uh, yeah. world where it, you are are he's a song craftsman and mm-hmm. i'm not really that i'm not good at that he's very good at crafting the song perfectly and i'm more my talents lie more in very being very rough Far from perfectly and but, i and yeah. uh, we and i think that's where the the, the the matchup is cool if we are both rough guys or both craftsmen i don't think it would work so i think it's two different looks at do it. you
4: ever does that cause problems sometimes no because i want it i mean i think that i can benefit from more of that in my writing like you know i've always thought that and
1: i benefit from your craftsmanship and wanting to do i think it's because we both want to do what each other's doing right. song, and Stri- striving to write the perfect song yeah. you know can whatever. you illustrate
2: what you're talking about with a with a
1: snippet of a song carolina drama is good because that's uh um, that's more like I would never have done that kind of songwriting song in the White Stripes, for example, like that kind of storytelling songwriting song with that kind of arrangement that we did. It would have been turned into more like a slide blues song, I think, if I had done it in the White Stripes, I think. Do a little, give, give me a little taste of that and then like, talk. do about it. A few minutes of, I think yeah, we should yeah. tune up though. because Yeah, sound. yeah, that's what I meant
4: to say earlier. Um,
1: um, let me give you this. Let me tune it real quick, and then I'll be. I was you.
4: so out of tune, I wondered if wanted to talk to you guys about maybe redoing it. I just yeah, thought that was the
2: kind it. of imperfection that made for great music. Well, okay, you no. know, <laughs>
1: here's this is me and him. Yeah, this is me and him. I wouldn't have said that, but he would, <laughs> and neither one are bad. Yeah, neither right. one are bad. And now I'm leaving, yeah. <laughs> and now the drummer quit. Great, that's
4: <laughs> me as, I bet it's out of tune. So, Um. But that's kind of true. Well, okay, another not a not an example of between Jack and myself, but myself and someone else who shall remain nameless, a producer, and I was playing guitar in the control room with with the producer there. And it was kind of a really exciting part of the song, almost like a who part. I, mean, I was I was way up here and I was you know playing like on an electric guitar. Mm. And that's pretty damn well in tune. But the guitar I was usually you know on the twelfth fret or whatever they're it's really hard to keep it in tune in fact, that's probably why Pete Townsend like to play those chords because they're exciting because they're dissonant and you know, but he had me tune the chord up on the twelfth fret. Rick, are you listening? <laughs> he yes, had, I am he had me tune that fretted chord, so then later I don't know why I'm screaming later when the record was being mixed by by Dave Sardi, whose name can be mentioned here um. Uh, he said, "I said, what's going on with this song, man? It doesn't have this. It doesn't have any power to it." And he said, "Your guitars are. Everything's too in tune." And if you want, I can put a guitar on it that's slightly out of tune. Yeah. And he did, and the song just came to life. Came to
1: life. That's almost a, that's just sad. So, you know, it is. I mean, it is. It
4: It was, it made me very sad and I didn't have a very fun time making that record, needless to say. Well, well was... this,
1: this, you can transfer this over to our talk about modern country. When mm-hmm. we did the second tours album at Blackbird Studio, which is the big studio in Nashville, most of the big country records were being recorded there, especially at the time. And they were explaining to us how they were doing the songs in the next studio over. Like we were recording a drum track. Uh, and a bass guitar, and a, the band would play live together, and then we would start building on it. Like, oh yeah, let's two vocals. I was gonna, the the live track was the song. That was it. It was done, and they were saying, oh, you know, at this point we would just be getting the kick drum uh, ready in the in the over in, the, in this country album we're working on. They would do a drum beat. They would play a drum beat, put it up on Pro Tools, put it on a grid so that every kick and snare is perfectly in time. And then they switch out the then kick and snare for it. samples of the snare drum that they think is a good sounding snare drum sample. So every snare drum sounds basically exactly the same, hit it at exactly perfect time. There's no soul left in the recording at all. Even- and that's how you get played on country music radio. You have to do that stuff to the song, take all the life out of it. And it's sort of like, man, can you imagine if even the Beatles had been recorded that way? And hip hop, great-
4: even hip hop, those guys, those beats guys are going, you know, going so far to make the beats imperfect, to make them nowadays, to make them like swing and yeah. do weird things. I think that's things, Jay They're Not even in yeah. time sometimes. It's awesome, you know? Yeah. And,
1: but that's Jay Dillock who's the, maybe maybe the, one of the first to do that, where they're really just kind of playing it yeah. off time. And, yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and making it have a, some swing to it, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? I mean, uh, they're tra-
4: they're trying to go the other way with it. Like they want this drum machine to sound like, yeah. imperfect, you know, imperfect, like,
1: yeah. And it's and it's, it's, it's better. It's, but it's,
4: what's driving that? Is it is
2: it being dr- driven from the audience level, or is it just driven, or is it just a kind of thoughtless extension of expertise that I can because I can make it perfect a, I will in
1: my opinion be a, a bad domino effect of uh, what's selling what's working and all oh, that one worked because we used this algorithm type thing and we, we put everything up on a grid and made everything Might exactly. OCD
4: too man people OCD in the business honestly thinking like you know the, uh, the engineer like oh I can't stand the bleed or I can't stand this 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 snare just kind of out of phase a little bit you know I want to replace it and no one says anything no one says no stop no
1: one's. Every, you know, everybody. Would, wanted... I would
3: also describe it as a misuse of technology.
1: Yeah. I, I agree, Rick. And it's like, you can use like, you, you know, I, nothing can be firm. If I say you know, I've, I've gotten punished a lot for being like this anti-technology guy. I'm really not. And the the point being is I think people misunderstand. Like I'm not saying like, if you record on computer, you're a lifeless piece of shit. It's mm-hmm. like, no, you can record on Pro Tools and do some really beautiful things and you can use it properly. If you all, but if you plug in and everything, no one's playing in a room live together. Everything is, uh, uh, tracked individually. Everything's been, has 16 plugins and emulations on it of, reverb with digital emulators and on and on and on you've you've clicked your mouse three million times before this song is quote unquote finished are you kidding me are you said mm-hmm. there's no way that's going to have any solar life to it and if you took your favorite recordings of uh otis redding or the beatles or whatever and tried to ha- ha- do it in that same fashion i don't think people would like the results but that doesn't mean that you could you can't use that technology and, and come up with beautiful things you definitely can but you gotta be very diligent i think and what, like what rick said the you can misuse any of that technology. It's a lot easier to misuse this technology now than it was when it was just tape machines. It was a lot harder to mess absolutely, up. You know? Absolutely, absolutely, because you have more—you have more
4: control, which can be a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. And there's no undo. There's no Apple Z. You know, there was no—I mean, you know, there was no, there Apple was Z, no Apple Z. So you—you you had to commit.
3: You had yeah. to commit. Wait, you guys were going to play something? Okay.
2: Well, an example of there too.
3: Yeah. Oh. Yeah.
1: Okay, so this was a song uh, called Carolina Drama that we, me and Brett worked on my, on my porch in Nashville when we doing our second album, and um, it became a, sort of like a storytelling song. I, we won't play the whole thing, it's a little yeah. bit long, but it, we'll play yeah. a little bit of it. Um, and it was really us working together. I mean, when, this song probably would have been more of like a slide, open slide, very trashy kind of song if I had done it in my other band, The White Stripes at the time. But when we did it together, it sort of turned into a storytelling kind of song. You're
2: grateful for that. In other words, you don't...
1: Yes, because I didn't want the Raconteurs to sound anything like The White Stripes. Yeah. I wanted, If we were going to start a new band, I didn't want to sound anything like it. And I when I do a solo record, I don't want it to sound anything like The Raconteurs. And so anytime you do a project, you don't want it to have any real similarities. And I think maybe that's a little bit what's, what's tough for anybody who's been in a band that connected with people in the mainstream, especially, you know. I always think about that like we toured with Robert Plant in South America and I just love what he was doing solo. And you just get that vibe in the room that people just want to hear that Led Zeppelin song next. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit, uh, that's the kind of curse of bands too. You know, people love bands as a unit. They like to, it's like, I don't know, it's like maybe even part of a fantasy thing. Like, oh, I wish I was on the road with my four friends or something in a van or something. I don't know, maybe there's some appeal of that, but there's this idea that gang. this gang of guys or girls uh, is is up there um, against all odds traveling the country and and and, and coming up these songs together. And when you're uh, solo, it's almost like you're, oh, this is like an image. Imit- uh, why, why don't you just do the White Stripes? Why don't, why don't you just do that? That's what we want you to do. You know Why doesn't Robert Plant just reform Led Zeppelin? Because that's mm-hmm. what you want you to do. But I think people don't realize that's not what the artist well, the are don't want to keep repeating themselves can you imagine if Robert De Niro had to keep playing Travis Bickle from Taxi Driver in every film for the rest of his life yeah you're know, like are you kidding me men should
2: have term limits there should, that should be like a lot fast <laughs> yeah. yes. can't be in a band for more than five years yeah.
1: five years actually be pretty good yeah uh, i not bad deal. Um, you want to try yeah. this Carolina drama <laughs> it southern, a it's total
2: southern gothic it doesn't it <laughs> yeah. yeah. but this you know what this reminds me of the last time we chatted uh, for that podcast episode on on Elvis. Mm. You were talking about how the first time you went to Memphis, it reminded you of Detroit. Yeah. And then you had that whole thing about how Detroit is a Southern town. Yeah. Maybe it's not a stretch that you end up writing Southern Gothic Why Detroit? bunch of guys in Detroit end up writing Southern Gothic rock.
1: Yeah, there's something about it. There's something there where there is a kind of literal connection. It it does. When you're in Memphis, I feel very much like it's like Detroit. New Orleans, Memphis, Detroit sort of have some straight down the country, Mm -hmm. some kind of blood vein going on. Yes, so you're painting the picture. We just played that song. It sounds very Southern, and we wrote it on a Southern front porch in my house in Nashville. Well, why aren't we writing uh, Stooges sounding... uh, heavy rock number. Maybe because we have acoustic guitars and we're sitting on a veranda or something. I don't know. Yeah, right. This is, but it's... Uh, rocking chairs. But right. uh, it, it might be um, that sometimes these environments... They, you know that your environment influences. You don't really know specifically what it is, but yeah. you know it's, it's being influenced, I guess.
2: That song was written from beginning to end on your front porch. In Basically,
1: Netflix? yeah, for the most part.
2: How does it... When you guys write together, is it... How does it work?
4: Well, it's been different. Like, so this record i i think we did a lot of impromptu on the microphone like Mm -hmm. just going out there and just kind of riffing you know just vocalizing i don't know on
1: on a song and then picking out parts like oh that sounds nice or whatever i'm specific i'm specifically remembering now caroline driving when we sat there and wrote it it was it was sort of like say we started off with uh uh, billy woke up in the back of his truck and i was like ah billy that's a stupid name to put in there I'm like well we'll find something else later and um And, you know, I remember actually uh, Bob Dylan had come by the house a few months later after we'd recorded and I played him that song. And I was actually saying, hey, man, do you think uh, I should come up with a different name? You've used Billy in a song, Tom Petty has, and 15 other songs off the top of my head. uh, Billy Joe McAllister jumped off the Tallahatchie Bridge. I was like, I'm trying to think of something different, but I can't think of a two-syllable name. And he's he's like, I don't see a problem with that. You know this so song has like, been validated by Bob Dylan. Like, so, okay, yeah. then, then then I was like, okay, good, <laughs> then we're fine. All right, let's move on. Wait, Bob next Dylan was
2: just drops by, and you've become friends with Dylan.
1: We, we are. We are. Uh, he's, well, he's He's my dad. He's he's my mentor. Yeah. So I I, I don't want to insult it by saying we're friends. You know, in the same yeah. as if I'm anywhere near. Uh, but but he he uh, yeah he's, we we do have a pretty nice relationship. It's nice to be able to play something like that and, and get get feedback. But but yeah. But to talk about the Brendan and I like songwriting. In that song, for example, I say like oh that one one thing was uh, the name. And uh, okay, we'll think of something later. But then he's like uh, he will say oh well, what's he gonna do now? You know? Okay, well he just woke up in his truck and he went and saw oh there's a priest in his house. Now we're now we're feeding off each other. What's the priest doing? Oh well maybe he's fighting with uh, someone else. There's a boyfriend there. Uh, who was described by his boyfriend. How do you describe these people and sum up their whole lives in one sentence? And I thought something like, oh, he's got some blue tattoos that were given to him when he was young. Like maybe he's been in prison since he was a kid was the one way of saying he's mm-hmm. had a rough life. Um, it's hard to do that though. It's hard to sum up someone's life in a sound bite, but you kind of have to do that as a singer. You have to come with these, you have to make these concessions, you know, especially if you're talking about characters like that. But I think those things come out of me and him bouncing it off of each other. If I had sit, been sitting there by myself, the song would have came out totally different and the characters would have done different things.
3: How often are the songs that you write about a fictional character?
1: Brendan is different. And he can tell you a different story about his own, but I almost never try to write about myself because it's just so, it's just too boring for me. I feel it's like it's boring. And also if it's, I'm going to end up probably writing about something negative or sad. And I don't want to keep reliving that for the rest of my life. Every time I play this song live, it just seems like, And then also, I think it's too overdone nowadays. I think everyone sort of expects that the new Taylor Swift song is going to be about her dating John Mayer or something like that. And I think maybe it'd be better if uh, people wrote about um, something different. I read uh, in the book something very interesting. It was like if you had asked uh, kids in high school 100 years ago to write a song who knew nothing about writing music, that 90% of them or 95% of them would have written about the Titanic, or a mining disaster, or something big that was to the community. But if you wrote, asked a hundred high school kids right now to write a song who knew nothing about music or songwriting, they would all 100% write a songs about themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I don't really have an opinion on about what that means, about how culture has changed. But I'm sure everybody listening to that statement could probably infer lots of narcissism and mm-hmm. uh, things that have to do with uh, how we attack uh, technology with social media nowadays, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas before, 100 years ago, when most people hadn't even been more than five miles from their own home, they would assume that there was this grandiose life outside of their small town that they know very little about that seems very exotic but that's all at our fingertips mm-hmm. now.
2: I want to dwell on this for a moment because it's super interesting. This idea of the of this switch from 100 years ago the kids would have written narratives about some world event mm-hmm. and today it would be about themselves. Cuz I was just thinking as you were saying that was there a 100 years ago, you know, after Katrina, there would have been a oh, yeah. top 10 song totally mm. equivalent or it's equivalent yeah, about Katrina sure. or about you know we would all know someone would have memorialized uh 9-11, or, 9/11 or I was thinking you know all these the that wave of police shootings over the you know oh gosh yeah yeah there yeah. is one there's one there's that Janelle Monáe song mm-hmm. but but the idea that you know hip-hop could be a Another version of hip hop is
1: would be this uh, uh, would be a genre full of social protest. Yeah, mm. I, I tried to work w- with Jay Z on a, a hip hop version of Stagger Lee, which I thought I was telling Jay like, um, and I wish you could have helped me with this, Rick, and make this actually come alive, but it never worked. It never happened. But it, um, I was trying to say, you know, Jay, this this is um, a song about a guy who was killed over a five dollar hat, and these are mythical folk heroes that should be mythical hip hop uh, heroes where are where are the mythical hip hop characters there's a lot of people in hip hop who talk about themselves most of it is the mc talking from his own point of view nothing wrong with that but wouldn't it be awesome if there was also mythical hip hop characters and i thought god stagger lee is just it's just waiting to be done in a hip hop style you know the it's it's got everything it's got everything that's talked about in modern hip hop and say all you got to do is modernize it taking us full circle to modernizing all the things. But, um, uh, and he, he, he was interested in it for a second. We just didn't, never got got come together and finish it. I ended up doing, on my, my band, The Dead Weathers album, I ended up doing a version called $3 Hat uh, off of it because I didn't want to see the music go to waste. I'm, I'm curious about, uh, you guys to talk a little
2: bit more about the, you know, you talked a little about the music that you grew up with. Mm. I'm curious about the music that, net, that, at the specific point you are in your career, that really affects you and moves you?
1: I mean, I like to pick up on little moments. You're like, ooh, that was like, say, I heard this Billie, Billie Eilish song in our day, the... Yeah. I, I don't know the name of the type, but I think it's a, we're, we're, when we go to sleep, when we all fall asleep, where do we go, I think? And uh, what I liked was the, the way she recorded the vocals And to me, like that was some great use of technology. However she recorded her vocals, I'm assuming it's a Pro Tools thing, that it was like, oh man, beautiful. The way that it sounds like a synthesizer, but it's also sort of like four of her singing layered together. Very, very cool, very well done, impressive. And you remember those kind of things, like the tone of something. Mm -hmm. And that's what bums you out. It's like when everything is electronic or electric that you don't know. People used to say, wow, how did they make the sound? How did the Beatles make that sound at that one part in the song? Are they playing, I think that's backwards guitar or whatever it was at that time, some technique that, or say like in a movie, like how did they force that horse carriage off a cliff? Did they really kill those horses in that movie? You know, um, but now it's just a one sentence thing. It was done on the computer. Hey, Jack,
3: how do you feel about the Donna Summer song, I Feel Love?
1: I love it. I love it. And as I read more about it, and I think, what is it, Brian Eno brought it into the studio and said to Bowie that this is the future of music. And it was, there was no... What was the first song? It was all completely electronic, right, Rick? Yes, yes. And again, to speak to what you said before, Rick, a good use of technology versus bad use of technology. That usually, when the song something's the first, it's time is ever done. First time they built a Fender Telecaster or or a Fender reverb amp, like the first out of the gate is usually the best. And yes. uh, and that was one of those first out of the gate moments, like oh wow, look what you could do with electronic music or craft work and all the things that came yeah. th- throughout that scenario of uh, there's some amazing things can be done. And then, but that's the same thing with anything, you know. Say like a grunge movement comes out, the, all this dirty kind of raw sounding rock and roll comes out, and then you got to listen to Seven Years of the Imitators kind of watering it down. No big deal. That's how music's always gone. It's always gone up in hills and valleys like that.
2: There should be a, there should be, you know how the Germans have words for everything? There should be a German word for the person who comes after the
0: originator and does a bad version of the thing
1: yes, that he once right, thought was right. Right. That's, a that's a great you, idea. That is yeah. a German word for that.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs> we'll be back with more from the Raconteurs after the break. a job is where America goes to hire Hello, hello, Malcolm Grabwell here from Revisionist
2: History. If you've watched a professional tennis match recently, you'll know that fans have this amazing new tool at their disposal. It was created by the consulting company Infosys and the Association of Tennis Professionals. It's an immersive 3D viewing experience for tennis fans, which allows them to watch matches from new angles, get real-time statistics, and better understand the inner workings of the game and its athletes. Basically, a completely new, data-driven way to appreciate a tennis match. It's been a huge hit, and I'm proud to say that the Infosys tennis platform earned first place in the customer experience category at the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event held at Mobile World Congress in Las Vegas that celebrates customers who've boldly innovated for the sake of meaningful change. And I think it's important to point out that innovation like this doesn't just require a great idea and exploit some great underlying technology. It takes courage. Because tennis is a game with a long history and some pretty powerful traditions. I mean, you can only wear white at Wimbledon. Still, it's the 21st century. And here was an idea that said we can dramatically change the way a fan watches a match. We can feed them data can allow them to see things they could never see before with the naked eye or even conventional camera angles. If you want to turn a world upside down, you have to have a pretty strong backbone. That's a lot of what the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards are all about. Finding people and companies who show that kind of boldness. I encourage you to enter. It's a fantastic event and a great way to be recognized for your brave, outside-the-box thinking in front of the industry's most influential leaders, and an even better way to say, I told you so. You can enter by July 31st at T-Mobile.com slash unconventionalawards. That's T-Mobile.com slash unconventionalawards.
0: See you there. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christofferson. How did the biggest names in Outlaw Country start a musical revolution? Through one woman's vision from one tiny living room. Don't miss Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest. Sue Brewer and the birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the Outlaw Country Music movement and its biggest stars. Brewer helped shape the sound and soul of country music as we know it today Audible invites you to enter the Boar's Nest and experience the rise of a musical revolution. One woman, one time, one place. The Boar's Nest: Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Listen now at audible.com/slash The Boar's Nest. We're back with more from the Rack
2: and Tours. Brendan, can you talk a little bit about? And I'd love if you played a little bit of it. The um, the song. Um, I don't feel like trying. Sometimes, sometime, some, some days, some days, some days some I don't feel like trying. Like trying. Yeah, yeah, some days. um It seems like the most personal song on the album.
4: Yeah, it is. I didn't. I didn't think much of it when I was writing. I mean, I didn't think that it was necessarily so personal. I mean, I think there's kind of. Let me just be clear. I. I think I don't. I'll, I don't write strictly autobiographically. I mean, I think I. I tell stories as well. They're not. They're not stories with you know necessarily there are lots of different characters and the characters maybe morph into other characters and i take liberties and artistic license and you know um so that being said i mean yeah i, st- I think i st- i think i kind of felt you know i was just kind of feeling at a feel having a bad day you know <laughs> maybe more than just a bad day but and i started to write this song and then um and then of course it's it's good to embellish and make things just get, just twist the knife even more and, you know, so I, I kind of, I feel like I just take liberties in songs, like, may, maybe try to make it more shocking or more sad or more this or that and then it, people are asking me about it, you know, like, you know, it's, it's wow, it's really, sounds almost suicidal.
1: If you really want to throw it, when you're in a band like this, where there's two singers and two songwriters, you can really throw a spanner in the works and, and uh You'd have me sing it if it's that personal, yeah. You know? Right, and then uh, see what happens there. Like right, that, that could be an interesting twist. Maybe we should have done that. <laughs> yeah,
4: and we've talked. We've always talked about doing that. We just never got around to doing that. Just singing each other's songs, like you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I mean, singing singing each other's lyrics more specifically. Will you, will you, will you
2: play a little bit of that song?
4: Some days, um, yeah.
2: Whoa!
3: <laughs> have Have either of you written a song before? Where it's two distinct parts like that, where it's almost like the second half of the song answers the first half, and the whole feeling of the song changes. Are there any others like that in either of your catalogs? Wow.
4: I think I do that a lot. It's kind of a li- little go-to of mine, like uh, a big outro, big like, you know. But he means that 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 was an answer. Well, to an the answer. First part. Yeah, and, I, don't, and, I don't remember and, hearing that before. Um, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe not direct directly like an answer thing but i do it's like a really good outro interesting
3: that it's like the first half of the song is that you know i don't care and i'm wallowing and then the second half of the song is but mm-hmm. and it, it's uh it's the second half is we shall overcome and it's mm-hmm. interesting to have both of those in the same song
1: it is. I don't. I'm a, I st- might be the first only time that you or I have ever done that. Did you
2: start by
4: thinking you were going to have the answer, or did you write the first half and think it needs an answer? That was written. The second half was written on the spot, um, spontaneously. Which I
1: thought it was getting too. Sad. I thought it was
4: getting too bummed out. Like we were all recording it. It was. It wasn't. It also wasn't coming very easily for us all. You know. So I was, and I was getting nervous that maybe people were losing interest in this song that I had such high hopes for and blah 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 so i think that just after a take that didn't go so well i think i said i'm here right now not dead yet that just came out of nowhere yeah i'm dead yet and then they started playing along not dead yet here right now i'm not by the end we're singing here right now and i'm not dead yet so we were like whoa let's you know we got to use that that's great yeah and I was glad because it a happy ending, you know.
1: But these are things that would not happen. I don't know if you were about by I yourself, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't you by yourself that. recording your own solo stuff. You no. wouldn't do those things wouldn't happen. No,
4: or if I had written it, it would become a part that would be, you know, it, it just, yeah. It,
2: it's funny how the last, I mean, this is going to seem like a totally trite observation, but I've always been fascinated by it. You can have a song like that, the bulk of which is this dense downer. And Mm. then you stick the little thing on the end and all of that is forgotten. Yeah, exactly. At the end, you know, I was clapping. I was like, you're cheering this guy on, Yeah. You know, it's almost like it just gets for er you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It gets erased. The emotional arc of music is so fascinating that you can you can kind of rescue, you can take
4: somewhere to the can, And then it's melody. Bring them right. Yeah. It's with that melody. You can do that. I mean I can do that right now, just just bummed it out, right? But it's gonna be all right. <laughs> so there's like that's the most basic trick ever, but you know, it's all in there. It's great. I mean, Mozart knew it, you know, they all knew it, how to just pull the heartstrings and
1: it was like uh just kinda just of popped in my head was that uh, you know, speaking of like novelty songs and, and uh with deeper metaphors so, so hidden back there and changing things again. Yeah. I was, I was thinking of Loretta Lin's songs called Fifth City. If you know this song, it's uh the chorus is um I don't know the chorus exactly, but the chorus is uh, and if you don't wanna go to Fist City, you better detour around my town. Cause I'll grab you by the hair of the head and I'll lift you off of the ground. Just like a novelty thing, like, oh, okay, you're gonna I'm gonna kick your ass if you mm. mess around with a man. But then she says like this double chorus, which is she's sobering that she goes, I ain't saying my baby's a saint because he ain't that he won't cat around with a kitty. But I'm here to tell you, gal, you better watch your your face or something. You, you stay away from my man if you don't want to go to Fist City. So uh, it's like she admits, yeah, I know he's screwing around, and I should be mad at him. But yeah, I'm gonna talk about that right now. We're talking about you. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> That's great. That's brilliant songwriting. Yeah, so good. I'm curious
2: about all of you. Are have lived through a period where mm-hmm. the way in which people experience music has, your audience experiences music has changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. fundamentally mm-hmm. spanning quite a yeah like in 20 years we've gone from al- buying the album records, and listening to it from beginning CDs. to end yeah yeah, to to I'm assuming mo- it's almost all spot you know streaming and mm-hmm. individual
1: streaming and vinyls
2: how, how does how has that affected has it affected you has it affected the way audiences react to your music when you play live well, we,
1: th- it, th- we thought say like when we like say when the Patrick and Jack were in the Greenhorns, and I was in the White Stripes in the Detroit garage, scene was cooking, that that we thought we had this problem of what they call golden age thinking that everything was always better in the past. Every, oh God, the band's in the 60s, they had it so good. And it's was like, wow, wouldn't it be great to be from that time period than this lame ass 80s and 90s, blah, 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 digital crap that we had to grow up in. And then you, it's like, we thought that was bad? Jesus man there's nobody's nobody's sitting down writing a song anymore you know with a with a piano and then like when you like you see something like a Brandy Carlisle on a, on the Grammys mm-hmm. like oh thank god you know
4: and you know what it is you see finally is talent i mean i think mm-hmm. you finally see somebody who's truly gifted and you're like blown to pieces because what we're used to is mediocrity i mean just mm-hmm. you know whatever's sort of viral and popular on the internet which mm-hmm. is always just so lame you know nothing to do with skill or creation goes? or art or
1: yeah. you you want to say like i want someone to sit down and love their craft and love their work and their art form and they're expressing it in a way where they can figure out how to blow your mind with the tools that they're using it doesn't matter if they're analog or digital or not can they blow their mind Billie eilish with the way she recorded her vocals on that song i heard the there she blew my mind the way she recorded her vocals she used the technology to her advantage and did something beautiful and she's um, trying to blow your mind. Yeah, That's you, but there's not enough of that, it feels to. like. Maybe maybe when you look back and say, oh, God, it seems like every time someone turned their head in the 60s, someone was writing some amazing song that had greatness to it and would last forever. Maybe, though, that we're only remembering the good stuff. I don't know.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's we, We're we definitely remembering the good stuff. And the the bar to get in the game in the 60s was much higher Yeah, because the cost it took to make a record... You, to get signed, yeah. you had to really be good just to get signed. Yeah, and if you got like signed, really you, had have your,
1: you had to have your act together. By the time you got to the studio, like, guys, we got one chance. We better rehearse the shit and have it done right. And if you're going to sing, you're going to sing from the heart. And you're going to try to really impress them because there's only this one moment. You don't have, yeah. oh, we can go back and overdub and fix it and, and, and click and no. click, whatever. You, the you, be- the Beatles recorded
3: that. their first album in nine hours. You know, that was it.
1: yeah. Led Zeppelin first album, thirty six hours. Black Sabbath first yeah. album, twenty four hours. Uh, Stooges yep. first on and on and on and on. All the yeah.
3: The the other side of it is that because the entry bar is low now, yes, there may be more noise and more not good stuff, but you might hear something that you might not have heard that wouldn't have made the bar on a technical level. But it's a different kind of talent. Like when I, when I hear someone like Young Thug, it's really exciting to me. Mm-hmm. In the old days, someone who you couldn't understand what they were saying, or maybe they don't even know what they're saying, might not get a, you know might not get to record.
1: That sounds like you, young thug in you evokes an idea that you trust him and you believe him, right? Yes. Well, that's that's, that's what I'm speaking 100%. of is, is when, you, when you believe somebody, however, whatever tricks they're using to make you yes. think that they're believable and should be trusted, or if they actually are trustable, whatever it is, yes. you trust young thug and now you're ready to open the door and listen, listen to anything else he has to say. If someone yes. comes out of the gate and I like, I don't trust them, I kind of almost X them out. And I, I'm never going to really dig what they're doing, no matter what they do, no matter how beautiful it is. It's coming from somebody I don't trust. So,
3: Okay. On the, on the trust front, we we mentioned earlier that people who are technically great are harder to trust because there's so much craft in it, it's harder to believe them. Mm. Who are the people who you think of as technically great, yet you still trust them?
1: Mm, that's a great question. Let me think for two beyond, seconds. Though.
3: Beyond Brandi Carlisle, because she's right, an example. Right,
1: yeah. I think... Yeah. Paul McCartney,
4: maybe I think uh,
1: yeah. you know he's famously
4: the tech the more technical one guy yeah,
1: my favorite Beatle. but um what's that? My favorite Beatle, no but, doubt Paul yeah, McCartney. but I,
4: I believe him with all my heart I mean and, and a lot of times I think i'm I'm just interested in the way that an artist evolves, even when they're older and how they get sort of sort of lame <laughs> It's still kind of like Paul McCartney like I still want to hear what he's up to, what he's doing, you know
3: yeah. I might include Simon and Garfunkel even though. Garfunkel is the voice you think of more in Simon and Garfunkel. The more recognizable voice yeah. is Garfunkel's. Paul's harmony is incredible, and Paul's songs are incredible. But when I listen to those records, I believe those words. Like I, 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 I um, yeah, I go with them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was almost these uh... And you want Anomalies to like that that kind of started off like acts that didn't really know what they wanted to do. They knew they loved music, but they didn't know what exactly their voice was, and they found their voice. Like uh, I think Dylan, if it, folk music hadn't been happening, and same thing with uh, Paul Simon and Garfunkel both those acts if, if folk music hadn't been the hot thing at that moment they could have easily if they'd been 10 years before they would have been rock and rollers like Little Richard and, and Gene Vincent um, I mean matter of fact what they were called the Southern Graphical were called Tom and Jerry when they first came out mm-hmm. and they became because of the folk movement they became believable and down to earth and soulful folk singers that you believed what they were saying and that they had knowledge they were experts about something that you didn't know about you had that that trust in the person who's uh, Communicating to you through music, you trust them, and you believe that they know something that you don't know.
2: And by that, the and the sign of that trust is for Simon and Garfunkel is by kind of the middle of their career, of his career. Simon puts out an album called *Graceland*, in which he takes you to South Africa and writes about essentially people from New York City. I mean, it's the most hilarious, brilliant. (laughs) You know, left hand turn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I listen. The to that whole thing record. works.
1: Yeah, it totally works. It's probably oh. one of the greatest albums ever made. Really, Graceland. I, yeah. And 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 I have, I listened to it a few months ago and realized, oh my God, there's not there's also a Zydeco song on here. There's a uh, Los Lobos is playing on here. Oh yeah. It's not just African. Yeah. Music. It's like all yeah. kinds of uh, music going on in that record. I'm like, wow, I didn't even remember that being part of that record. I thought it was all just uh, Lady Smith Black Mambazo and that but there's really a lot going on and there's a lot of new york going on in there and on top of it you name the album graceland Graceland. Who the the fuck would do that that's the best part awesome (laughs) it's
2: awesome (laughs) there's a girl from new york city who calls herself the human trampoline that's that's (laughs) the the one from christmas like i had i had a i had a
1: like an ignorant naive revelation in that uh, uh, the mississippi delta was shining like a national guitar i've been singing that line walking around the house for 30 years or whatever and it was like about two, three years ago. Like, oh shit, a national guitar—that's a name brand of a silver Dobro, which is shiny. I thought he meant like the big picture, the royal, a national guitar. Oh, we were all playing this gigantic guitar together as a Wait, nation. That reference was made for you. you exactly, you exactly. And, and I, it blew, on, it. And I blew it. I missed it. <laughs> um,
2: should we do one? Should we do one more song?
1: How about our only child kind of feel? Only child. Pretty cool. Yeah. This feels like a, a mixture of yeah. what Brendan was talking about, the, the personal thing, but mixed with us writing together and, and it becoming a bigger song than it started as maybe. Um, we start together, right? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to end there. This is my favorite lyric. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, but I can't, we gotta do the, I can't do the solo. and. Uh, the...
3: Would, you, would you say that you care that you give extra em- uh, emphasis or um, extra care to the vocal line that brings in the solo—is that a thing?
1: Oh, uh, like the last vocal line right before the solo happens. Yeah. Yeah, because you're sort of like you've got to set it up. Yeah, because it's a. Uh,
4: uh, I think that's cool. I like to do that live. Like it's kind of it's kind of like that old school thing. Like, you know. Come back home again to get his laundry done. Look out, look out now. Go, go. You know, you know how they used to do play that? It. Play yeah, it, yeah, play yeah. It, play it. <laughs> or, you know, I can play. Was that Stevie Wonder?
1: My favorite Gene Vincent was like, Go, Blue Caps, go, go. <laughs> you to say the, say the name of the band. Can you imagine, like, uh, Robert Blankard? Go, Led Zeppelin, go. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Thanks to Jack White, Brendan Benson, and the rest of the Rackin Tours for hanging out and playing with us. And a special thanks to our engineers this episode, too. Bill Skibby in Detroit, and Leonardo Beccafici, a.k.a. Fresco, in Italy. On the next episode, Rick talks with Tyler, the creator, about his new album, Igor. Broken Record is produced with help from Jason Gambrell and Mia Lobel for Pushkin Industries. Visit brokenrecordpodcast.com for playlists from every episode. And follow us on Instagram at thebrokenrecordpod. Our theme music is by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond.
2: Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month. Less Much, much better. Just go to Musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com unconventional awards. See you there. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road.